All right, everybody, let's get another week started here. It is Monday, January 30th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. It'll just be me today here on the Mo News Podcast as Jill has the day off. Before we get started, a thank you to everyone who has subscribed to this podcast and everyone who has left incredible reviews online. Every review on every podcast platform really makes a difference and really helps us grow. So if you could leave one today, it'd be greatly appreciated. We put out a special edition over the weekend. Jill interviewed a Holocaust survivor uh, as we commemorated International Holocaust Remembrance Day last week. It is a very powerful conversation that you should make sure to listen to. So you can check that out in the uh, podcast feed. We put it out over the weekend. With that, let's get started here. It has been a jam-packed weekend for news. We all have the latest from Memphis and all the aftermath of the release of that video late Friday of the Tyree Nichols police beating. The Federal Reserve will meet this week to consider yet another interest rate hike. It did come as we got some good news on Friday when it comes to inflation. I'll tell you all about that. We'll also take you abroad today as tensions escalate in the Middle East. There was a terror attack on a synagogue in Jerusalem over the weekend. A lot of back and forth between the Israelis and the Palestinians, as well as separately a drone strike in Iran. We'll have that for you. Back here at home, there's a new list out with the best American cities to buy a home in in 2023. The Queen of Clean, Marie Kondo, has a surprising admission that since she has a third kid, she has embraced a mess. Should we be surprised? I'll tell you what she's saying now. Two big NFL games over the weekend, and now we know who will be in the Super Bowl. We'll have the details for you on that front. And as always, we'll bring you your On This Day in History. Okay, let's start in Memphis, where the city is still reeling from the release late Friday of the video showing several city police officers beating Tyree Nichols to death after a traffic stop. Cities and police departments across the country were bracing for the release of this video late on Friday. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Meanwhile, the Memphis police chief over the weekend disbanded the city's so-called Scorpion Police Unit. Several officers in that unit were involved in the assault on Nichols. He was the 29-year-old Memphian who died from his injuries several days after the traffic stop in early January. The Scorpion unit was created a couple of years ago. It was comprised of teams aimed to target violent offenders and uh, stop high crime. Memphis has seen a major crime spike in recent years. By the way, Scorpion stood for Street Crimes Operations to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods, or Scorpion for short. The Memphis police chief, her name is Sarah Lynn Davis, she acted the day after that video was released. She said she listened to Nichols's relatives, community leaders, and other officers before making the decision to disband that unit. Davis is the first ever black female police chief in Memphis. Notably, uh, Nichols was black, as are all of the five police officers who've been arrested for his murder. The city says that this incident exposes that the issue is much larger than race when it comes to the community and police and is more about the culture of policing. Back to that video release on Friday, Memphis authorities released about 20 minutes of footage from multiple cameras, police body cams, street cams, They showed the police initially pulling over Nichols back on January 7th for what they believed was alleged reckless driving, though the video does not show any evidence of that. The video really begins uh, after they stopped his car. Then it includes the police walking up to his vehicle, violently pulling him out of the driver's seat, wrestling him to the ground. Eventually, five officers are repeatedly kicking him, striking him with their batons. At one point, a couple officers are propping him up uh, to let another officer punch him. At one point, Nichols tried to get away, Uh, But for the most part, these five police officers, several of them nearly twice the size of Nichols, are just beating him up, 
uh, repeatedly. The condemnation has come far and wide from police departments and law enforcement officials across the country that believe here that the police went way too far. Uh, It is one of the reasons why they were so quickly fired and then indicted and then put in jail late last week following the outrage. In the video, the officers make claims about Nichols' behavior that are not supported by the footage. It looks like they're trying to come up with excuses for why they did what they did. At one point, Nichols is calling out for his mother as he lay there against the police car. He was just 100 yards from home when he was pulled over, coming home from his job at FedEx. The video, as I said, has been condemned across the board from law enforcement across the country. They've been calling it uh, everything from absolutely appalling to alarming to unconscionable. The video also shows first responders not attending immediately to Nichols on site. Uh, It goes several minutes while he's lying there and first responders are not attending to him. So there are definitely questions there. Uh, Police at times are cracking jokes as Nichols' body is lying on the ground. There are questions that remain as to why the cops were so hyped up, why they maybe targeted Nichols. Was there a personal reason? Still a lot of questions here. I'm getting them from a number of you on Instagram. Imagine we will learn more over time. Notably, as I mentioned, the officers uh, involved here were all fired, arrested, and then indicted on second-degree murder charges last week. They were all initially uh, put in jail. They're all out on bail now, awaiting trial. They could each face up to 60 years in prison if they're convicted. The uh, next major court appearance is February 17th for their bond arraignment. Across the country over the weekend, cities and police departments were prepared for potential violence when this video was released, though the protests over the weekend in dozens of cities were pretty scattered, pretty small, and very peaceful, especially in comparison to some of the demonstrations we've seen in recent years. President Biden spoke to Nichols's mother and stepfather on Friday, commended the family's courage and strength. It was a remarkable conversation. I posted a clip over on the Mo News Instagram account. In the clip, Tyree's mother, Rovan, tells the president that the only way she can really process this is to tell herself that God put Tyree on this earth to complete a mission. And now that he's done with that mission, God took him home. Family members, activists, and attorneys say they will continue the fight for justice here as the cops face prosecution. The community is continuing to process the racial angle here. During a speech on Saturday, Al Sharpton said the beating was particularly egregious because the officers were black, adding, quote, your blackness will not stop us from fighting you. These five cops have not only disgraced their names, they have disgraced our race. That's what Sharpton said in Harlem on Saturday. Congressional leaders in Washington said they will look into new policing reform legislation, though it's unclear what will happen there. At the federal level, we haven't seen much in recent years. Okay, now let's head abroad where things escalated in the Middle East over the weekend. The U.S. Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, is meeting with Israeli and Palestinian officials over the next two days amid an outbreak of new violence. On Friday, a 21-year-old Palestinian gunman murdered seven Jews and wounded three others outside a synagogue in Jerusalem on Friday night during the Jewish Sabbath. The attacker was then shot and killed by police. The attacker happened to be a resident of East Jerusalem. Israeli police arrested a number of family and friends to gather further evidence. They also sealed up the family home in East Jerusalem and have plans to demolish it. It is part of punitive measures the Israelis take to deter further attacks. Another attack then took place on Saturday with a 13-year-old Palestinian gunman wounding a Jewish Israeli father and son headed to synagogue. I want to back up here and provide a little context for you as we talk about um, all the various things happening right now amongst the Israelis and Palestinians. Israel has a population of just under 10 million people in a a country about the size of New Jersey. That includes 7 million Jews and just over 2 million Israeli Arabs, or many of them refer to themselves as Israeli-Palestinian citizens. 
The violence in Jerusalem over the weekend comes amid escalating tensions next door in what's called the West Bank Territory. Over in the West Bank, that is where another 3 million Palestinians live alongside several hundred thousand Israelis, the West Bank is slightly larger than Delaware uh, and is a is a whole assortment of control. Some land controlled by the Palestinian Authority government, some with joint Israeli and Palestinian control, and then a good portion under full Israeli control. That includes hundreds of Jewish settlements. Palestinians believe that the entire West Bank territory should be part of a future nation of Palestine with a capital in Jerusalem. The West Bank is also home to a number of Jewish holy sites and is seen by many Israelis as a vital piece of land to maintaining Israel's security. The West Bank was under Jordanian government control until 1967 when Israel took control in a war and has been the subject of multiple attempts at peace agreements in the past few decades with no resolution. So that's a quick briefer on Israel and the West Bank. I'll, I'll try to do my best on this podcast uh, to give you that context because it often feels as you're listening to these stories, they are coming in in the, in the middle of a movie We'll also try to do our best on Instagram to give you added context. So there was that synagogue strike on Friday. The Israeli prime minister announced fresh measures against any terrorist families, including the attacker on Friday, uh, revoking their Israeli residency or citizenship and deporting them to the West Bank territory controlled by the Palestinian Authority. The violence in Jerusalem over the weekend comes as Israeli forces last week conducted a major raid on the northern West Bank town of Jenin. That is where they alleged an Islamic Jihad terror cell was planning attacks on Israel. Uh, the Israelis killed eight Palestinians that were affiliated with the militant groups, as well as an older civilian woman. Several other civilians were wounded. That Janine raid came as tensions were already high, both amongst Palestinian groups about how to fight Israel and between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Keep in mind, for a number of years, there's been cooperation between the Israeli authorities and Palestinian Authority government to work together to tamp down on the terror groups. But over time, there's been an increased split between the Israelis and the Palestinian Authority. And then late last week, the Palestinian Authority said they will no longer be cooperating with the Israelis. Already in recent months, uh, they've been less willing to dismantle terrorist groups within their territory. It's not popular among the civilian population. So that has then led the Israelis to go into these territories and conduct these raids. So there have been increased civilian casualties, increased tensions. Just to give you a sense of where things have gotten to uh, over the weekend after that attack on uh, parishioners at a Jewish synagogue, celebratory fireworks were shot off and candy was handed out in a number of Palestinian cities celebrating the attack. In the aftermath of this weekend, the Israelis have sent in more battalions to the West Bank, with the defense minister vowing that anyone who poses a threat to Israel will either go to court or the cemetery. Meanwhile, Israeli authorities are also on guard internally for potential revenge attacks from extremist civilian Jewish groups against Palestinians. So uh, there's a lot to take in here, a lot of tension. And so the American Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, will be meeting with officials. He actually, over the weekend, started in Egypt. Egypt has a close relationship with uh, a couple of the terror groups, including Hamas, which controls the Gaza Strip territory, which we can get into in a separate podcast. Uh, and so there's a lot of triangulation that happens here and dialogue on multiple levels, since in a few of these cases, there's no official relationship. The two sides consider one another enemies. One personal note here before we move on, I got hundreds of messages over the weekend on my Instagram account from people on both sides of the conflict, feeling that more context is needed in the coverage about their side, begging for this fact, or that fact, we will do our best here at Mo News to cover the centuries-old conflict with as much context and history as we can, but try to keep it brief uh, so we can move on to other topics. Appreciate all your notes as long as you keep them civil. 
Staying in the region here for a second, another story we're watching. The Israelis reportedly carried out a drone strike targeting a defense compound in Iran over the weekend. That comes as the U.S. and the Israelis are looking for new ways to contain Iran's nuclear and military ambitions. This is all according to officials who spoke to the Wall Street Journal on Sunday. Iranian officials say that the country's air defenses fended off an attempted attack by three drones targeting a munitions factory in the city of Isfahan. That's right next to a site that is under U.S. sanctions for building Iranian ballistic missiles. Iran says that its defenses brought down one of the drones, while two others exploded above the warehouse, causing some damage to the roof. Uh, It's TBD here on exactly what happened, because, of course, there is no free media inside Iran. So this is what the Iranians are telling us of what happened inside. This all comes as the U.S. and the Israelis are trying to find new ways to counter Tehran's nuclear program, which they uh, believe is progressing. And at the same time, Iran is facing an internal revolution. Thousands of people protesting, demonstrating, trying to bring down the regime. And at the same time, Iran is supporting Russia by selling them drones against Ukraine. So a lot is happening there. The bottom line, Iran appears committed to continuing to advance their missile and nuclear program. They view that the regime does as an insurance policy as they face protests internally, and they want to expand their reach politically and militarily across the region, despite U.S., Israeli, and Western concerns. Okay, we have a lot more news to get to in this podcast, but we have some exciting news here at the Mo News Podcast. Two new sponsors this week. One, a great skincare solution. The other, a smart way to get your download of your favorite books or podcasts. I want to start with Blinkist. I've been using the Blinkist app for more than a year now as a way to get quick summaries of books that I want to read but I never quite get to or get quick refreshers of books I just haven't read in a while. It's essentially audio cliff notes. Blinkist gives you basically a read on a book in 15 minutes. I like to listen to them on my commutes or while working out. They offer more than 5,500 books and podcast summaries and a wide range of topics, politics, parenting, communication, leadership, investing. You know those books you see, you might see them at the airport, et cetera, and you're like, I should read that. That would make me a lot smarter. Blinkist provides curated collections and expert-led guides. It helps you grow a little bit every day. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for the Mo News audience. Go to Blinkist.com, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com slash Mo News to start a seven-day free trial and get 25% off your Blinkist premium membership. Again, that's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink, Blinkist.com slash Mo News to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. And now for a limited time, you can even use Blinkist Connect to share your premium account and you will get two premium subscriptions for the price of one. So again, Blinkist.com slash Mo News, check it all out. Okay, I'd like to introduce all of you to Apostrophe, another new Mo News sponsor. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with expert dermatology teams to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. It's very convenient. Apostrophe essentially offers virtual derm consultations including for acne, dark spots. Sometimes getting a dermatology appointment can take a while. I know I have found that. So this is simple to use and can be done from home. You answer several questions, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. And so they are offering a special deal for the Monus audience. Get your first visit for only $5 over at apostrophe.com slash monus when you use the code Mo News, you will get a discount also on medication. Again, to get started, just go to apostrophe.com, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E, apostrophe.com slash Mo News, and click to get started and use our code Mo News at sign up. You'll get the first visit for only $5. 
Okay, now for our speed read. The first one from Bloomberg News. Inflation showed more signs of cooling on Friday. That's according to new data released by the Commerce Department. It comes as the Federal Reserve this week will be meeting again and is on track to raise interest rates again ever so slightly, slightly less than below. I'll explain that in a second. But as far as inflation is concerned, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, that is the index that the Fed prefers to use as the gauge of inflation, was up 5% annually in December, down from 5.5% annual inflation in November, and down from nearly 7% inflation in June. A reminder that healthy inflation typically is around 2%. So 5% is still high, but it is gradually coming down. And economists and federal policymakers are taking note. As I mentioned, the Fed is poised to raise the benchmark federal funds interest rate by a quarter percentage point on Wednesday to a range of between 45 and 4.75%. Uh, that'll be dialing back the increases that they were committed to doing back in 2022 as they see that the interest rates have had an impact. That Fed rate uh, between 45 and 4.75%, by the way, impacts everything from our 30-year mortgage rate to your credit card interest rate to auto loans, et cetera. Uh, and so basically, that is the benchmark rate and all the other rates basically take note of that. A reminder that the Fed is using interest rates to cool down the red-hot inflation, the philosophy being with higher interest rates, That means less of us, less companies are borrowing money, taking out loans because interest rates are higher. That means less money in the economy, less money for us to spend, which means prices have to come down, if you understand that calculus. And so far, the Fed feels like they're succeeding here, but they're playing a very difficult game. It's like walking a tightrope because they're trying to slow down the economy by increased risk, by increasing interest rates without sending us into a recession. It's something they call a soft landing, if you've heard that term. So we're going to get job numbers this week. And pending no surprising news as far as layoffs or unemployment, that'll indicate that the strategy of a soft landing, of increasing interest rates to bring down inflation, is working so far without sending us into a recession. We will have a special edition of the podcast tomorrow afternoon. So Tuesday is a two-podcast day. Remember to subscribe to this podcast or follow the show if you don't already. I'll have an interview with CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. She's actually out with a new book on how to reset your career, your finances. It's jam-packed with great advice when it comes to your money, managing your money, and making more of it, and also just dealing with the current economy. So subscribe to the pod and check out that edition tomorrow afternoon. All right, let's go to politics here for a second. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told CBS News on Sunday that he thinks that he and President Biden will be able to come to an agreement to increase the debt ceiling. That is despite the Biden White House claiming that they will not negotiate with House Republicans on the issue. The White House wants Republicans to raise the debt ceiling with no strings attached, similar to how they did three times under President Trump. But McCarthy and Republicans are looking for some concessions from Biden. And again, McCarthy's feeling bullish here. He's having a meeting with President Biden on Wednesday. They want the White House to uh, agree to spend less before Congress votes to increase the debt ceiling above $31 trillion. That is the amount the government can currently borrow. And we hit it recently. The Speaker of the House insisted Sunday that the U.S. will not default on its debt, an action that would have unprecedented potential consequences for uh, both the U.S. economy, the nation's credit rating, and the global economy. As I mentioned, the U.S. hit its statutory limit on debt earlier this month, but the Treasury Department is using what they call extraordinary measures to find ways to pay our bills that will prevent default, they think, until June. Some context here. The U.S. has raised the debt ceiling more than 100 times since the ceiling was first created back in World War I. It was usually pretty smooth, but has been more contentious 
over the course of the past 15 or so years, especially when Democrats control the White House and Republicans control Congress. When it's all Dem control, they raise it. When it's all Republican control, they raise it. But when Democrats are in the White House, Republicans in Congress see it as a way to rein in what they call out-of-control spending. And so that's what you're going to be seeing here in this negotiation in the coming months. A recent analysis, by the way, found that Republican and Democratic presidents are basically equally to blame for our debt right now. When you're looking at the $31 trillion, between Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump, they account for uh, almost two-thirds of our current debt situation. So just keep that in mind as you're listening to these stories. All right, our next story comes to us from CNBC. It caught my attention over the weekend. The headline, the 10 best cities to buy a home in in 2023 are all in the South. According to The Economist over at the National Association of Realtors, the metro Atlanta area is the best possible place to buy a house in 2023. That's using a variety of factors. Keep in mind, the National Association of Realtors analyzed 179 housing markets to determine which will offer the most value to buyers. They take into account home affordability, job growth, migration gains, and the housing supply. The data looks back from October 2021 through October 2022 and reflects what buyers are demanding this year. So Atlanta is number one. That is followed by number two, Raleigh-Durham. The Dallas-Fort Worth area is listed as the third best place to buy a house in 2023, followed by, in the Arkansas-Missouri region, the Fayetteville-Springdale-Rogers Metroplex, and then in fifth place, the Greenville-Anderson-South Carolina Metroplex. The full list is actually 10 regions. I will link to the full list in the show notes. All right, this comes to us from ESPN. It'll be the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. They each won their conference championship games on Sunday. The Eagles dominating the San Francisco 49ers 31-7 in the NFC Championship, while the Chiefs beat the Cincinnati Bengals with a field goal with seconds to go in the AFC matchup 23-20. It was revenge for the Chiefs who lost to the Bengals in last year's AFC Championship game. This will now be the Chiefs' third Super Bowl appearance in just four years. They won back in 2020, lost in 2021. Meanwhile, the Eagles won their first ever Super Bowl five years ago in 2018 and are hoping to take home now a second trophy. The big game is just under two weeks away. It'll take place on February 12th in Glendale, Arizona. Rihanna will be leading the halftime show musical performance, but we're told to expect a couple surprises as part of the act. And if you're like me and you're often watching the game for the commercials, the price of a 30-second ad is at a record high this year, $7 million for a 30-second commercial. Last year was $6.5 million, the year before that uh, in the mid-fives, now up to $7 million. So many of us will be watching with our friends and family, judging whether those 30-second ads were worth the $7 million. Staying with sports here for a second, the Australian Open finals were played over the weekend. Novak Djokovic won the men's title after being deported last year from Australia for not being vaccinated and not being able to play. He was allowed back in this year and won his 22nd Grand Slam. On the women's side, Arena Sablinka of Belarus won the women's championship. It's her first Grand Slam. Okay, our next story comes to us from the Washington Post. Marie Kondo appears to be just like the rest of us. The so-called Queen of Clean delivered a shock to fans during a recent webinar as she promotes her newest book. The maven of decluttering your closets and your life says she is no longer tidying up as much after giving birth to her third son. Or as Kondo put it in the webinar, my house is messy. Kondo became an international phenomenon in 2019 with the launch of her Netflix reality series, Tidying Up, in which she helps people clean up their messy homes and declutter their spaces in an attempt to restore calmness 
and, quote, spark joy in their lives. While Kondo has long been devoted to decluttering physical spaces, her new book also stresses the importance of cleaning up mental and emotional spaces. During that webinar, she added, my home is messy, but the way I'm spending my time is the right way for me at this time, at this stage of my life. She goes on to say, up until now, I was a professional tidier, and so I did my best to keep my home tidy at all times. I've kind of given up on that in a good way for me. Now I realize what is important to me is enjoying spending time with my children at home. Quite an admission from Marie Kondo uh, after watching that series on Netflix. Uh, A lot of you sending me messages on Instagram saying, welcome to the club, Marie. And finally, our last story is a reminder to be very careful on who you let in on that lotto win that we all expect to have one day. This was my favorite story of the weekend. I was reading it over on Syracuse.com. A 34-year-old Texas woman has admitted to stealing a $1 million lotto prize from her cousin's scratch-off ticket in New York. Iris Argetta, she's a 34-year-old from Houston, pled guilty to grand larceny in the second degree recently. So back in October 2020, Argetta's cousin won a $1 million jackpot prize from a $5 Hold'em poker scratcher that he bought at a 7-Eleven in New York. But he wanted to stay anonymous, which lotto winners are not able to do, according to the law in New York State. And so he asked his cousin Iris to claim the prize on his behalf and have her name associated with it. He offered her a little bit of the prize money to do so, of the $1 million prize money, and she agreed. But then she goes to claim the ticket and says to him, actually, it wasn't for a million dollars, it was only for $20,000, and gives him just about $3,400 in cash, claiming that all the rest of the money of the $20,000 prize she claimed she took was all for taxes. Well, the victim, the cousin, learns that she lies when he goes to the New York State Lottery website, sees a press release, and shows that she won a million dollars and took the lump sum of $537,000. And so he calls the authorities. Apparently, there was a couple hundred grand that she hadn't spent, which he now has. And so she has pleaded guilty to felony grand larceny in connection with the case now. She's expected to be sentenced to between one and four years in prison. Uh, That'll come in March. I imagine the holidays for that family will be pretty awkward. A reminder, if you want to win the lotto tonight, uh, you could buy those scratch tickets. But Powerball, I'm reading, is now for an estimated $613 million jackpot. Again, Powerball, drawing tonight, is just over $600 million. All right, that now brings us to On This Day in History, a couple birthday mentions. Actor Gene Hackman is 93 years old today. Christian Bale is 49, and former Vice President Dick Cheney turns 82 today. Okay, a couple other historical items. This one pretty dark, but important. It is a dark day in German history. On this day, 90 years ago, January 30th, 1933, German President Paul von Hindenburg named Adolf Hitler the Chancellor of Germany. Keep in mind, the Nazis and Hitler had just won the most seats in Parliament in the national elections. Some in leadership thought that naming Hitler Chancellor would be a way to manage his popularity, contain him. That turned out to be a complete failure. Hitler used the role as chancellor to empower himself. Hindenburg, the president, dies a year later. But an important reminder that Hitler took power initially democratically through the election in 1932 and then being appointed chancellor. So a continuous important reminder that elections do matter. Okay, let's take a turn here. A couple of other historical items on this day 54 years ago, January 30th, 1969, the Beatles played their last ever live performance that was on a London rooftop above the Apple building. The performance included several songs, including Get Back and Don't Let Me Down. On this day, 65 years ago, in 1958, the first moving walkway was installed at an airport that was over at Love Field in Dallas. They called it the Glide Ride. And a couple musical notes, 36 years ago today, Starship released their song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. 
January 30th, 1987. A uh, personal note for me, it was uh, me and my wife Alex's wedding song. Many of you might also remember it from the movie Mannequin. And finally, 24 years ago this week, and finally, 24 years ago this week, on this day in 1999, Eminem and Dr. Dre dropped their hit, Forgot About Dre. All right, that has been it for another edition of the Mo News Daily Podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening and spreading the word. Love your notes. Love the Instagram post where you're promoting the podcast. Please follow or subscribe to the podcast. You don't miss a single episode. A reminder, we had that special edition with the Holocaust survivor over the weekend. Another special edition tomorrow, all about uh, your money, your wealth, and how to deal with the current economy. If you could take a moment today to review us uh, on your podcast app of choice, it helps us continue to grow this podcast. And don't forget to follow us where it all started over on the Mo News Instagram account at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.